You're listening to Cancer Covered. Doctors spend a long time learning how to do their jobs, sometimes as long as a decade, after college. And there's a lot to learn, how the body works, the thousands of ways it can go wrong, and how to handle each. There's also specific skills to learn, like repairing a broken hip, or delivering a baby, or doing a bone marrow transplant. But medical schools spend surprisingly little time on one of the most difficult and most frequent jobs a doctor does, having difficult conversations with sick people. Medical schools and residency programs are required to teach communications, but the requirements are vague. A 1999 survey by the Association of American Medical Colleges reported that almost half of the programs met the requirements by students simply observing on rounds, which is basically letting them learn on the job. So is it any surprise that doctors get just as stressed out by difficult conversations as anyone else, or that so many doctors are bad at it? A lot of medical schools are trying to change just that, adding classes on communication and having sessions where students practice communicating with actual patients or simulated ones. And Dr. Brian Burnett is helping the Medical College of Wisconsin do just that with a half-day communication session he developed. But get this, the session is built around a case study of an actual conversation he had, one that went spectacularly wrong. And that patient, the one he had the failed conversation with, she helps him teach it. You're listening to Cancer Covered with Green Bay Oncology, where we explore pressing cancer issues and look for ways healthcare professionals, patients, and their families can cope better together. I'm Dr. Mitch Winkler. And I'm Kyla King. And we're your hosts. Dr. Brian Burnett and Erica Balza, thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Erica, do you want to explain to everybody listening what your diagnosis was and kind of where you're at? I was diagnosed stage four metastatic breast cancer de novo on March 27, 2015. And I was on a new FDA approved drug called Ibrant. I can't say the other name of it. And I was on that for 20 rounds, developed this respiratory infection that we've been talking about. And I started with tumor markers at 910. Now they're between 9 and 11. Anything under 32 is good. And I have been uh, no evidence of active disease for five years now. So I'm seven years out and thrilled for it. So we fight with our parents, spouses, and children, and basically everyone who we're close to. But why are people surprised when there is a conflict or misunderstandings between patients and doctors? First of all, I don't fight with my wife. (laughs) Just do what she says. (laughs) And I don't fight with my husband either. He just does what I say. I think it's because doctors are in a position of knowledge and they know what they're doing And most times I don't think patients will question what they're being told by their doctor. So it's a power dynamic. I believe so. Brian, what do you think that is? I think that's a good point. I think there's an unfortunate um, distance in power between patient and physician. Oftentimes it gets in the way of care. 
I'm surprised by how many patients I talk to if I am mediating between them and their physician, how they think it should never happen and they want to, well, switch me to another provider. And I'm like, hold on, we can work through this. Maybe there's something salvageable here, or maybe it was just a misunderstanding. But I think you're probably right, Erica, that when there's that power dynamic, maybe you're more likely to just want to shift to somebody else rather than trying to work through it because it's harder. You're not on an equal playing field like maybe you are with your family members. So that makes sense. I want us to go back to how we all came to be and why we're all in this room today. I brought something with me and I'm sure Erica, she's smiling because I think she knows what this is, but I looked through my files and I found a letter that Erica had written um, to the Cancer Center on March 29th, 2017. I had gotten a text message from Dr. Burnett and I sent over a copy of a letter that I received. I want you to take a look at it. And would you be willing to reach out to Erica to talk to her? I said, sure. So when I opened the envelope and I looked at the letter and started reading, although immediately I felt empathy for what you were going through and what you were describing, I was like, oh, I want to talk to her. (laughs) I I want to see if we can figure something out. And then because I could tell that you were in pain and were frustrated with what was going on at that time, I wanted to help hopefully alleviate some of that and provide solutions that we could get past it. So Erica, I'm going to hand you the letter. I would like you to read off some of the statements that I have highlighted. I feel like I'm in court on a witness stand. (laughs) I feel like I'm in court, not on the witness stand. (laughs) I would like some response with the viewpoint from your side of the table. I am fully aware that I am not your only patient. I do not place the entirety of blame on any of you. I also have my weaknesses. I feel as if you hear my name and eyes are rolled. Her again? I was very disappointed when Dr. Burnett told me on February 22nd to toughen up and go home. How much tougher am I supposed to be? Dr. Burnett, you failed me on February 22nd. But did you listen to what I was saying? I had questions about my care. You have the medical degree. I know my body. I need you and doctors to listen, to take into account my perspective. There is a value to your education and knowledge. What am I asking for through all this? Listen to your patients. Share your knowledge with your patients. Talk with your patients, not to them. Provide guidance and relevant examples in decision-making. I appreciate your time. I was impressed with the insight that you had immediately on the first page where you said, I know I'm not your only patient. I don't place the entirety of blame on you. I also have my weaknesses. I was extremely impressed that you were able to, even though you were frustrated with how other things were going, able to recognize and acknowledge that. And I will say in this five-page typed letter that it was- My manifesto. Yeah, that it was not all about Dr. Burnett. (laughs) When you heard that, What did that make you feel? Actually, it was the words before it when he said, toughen up and go home. Okay. And I didn't hear the rest of it after that statement. And I knew he was going on vacation the next day. So I figured he was in vacation mode and just didn't want to deal with me. 
So, and that was totally my fault because I didn't listen beyond just toughen up and go home. So I missed the rest of it that, hey, you're, you're going to get more sick if you stay here than if you go home, which actually wasn't true, but <laughs> I'll take it now. <laughs> so I just felt like, you know, he was in vacation mode and he didn't care. He didn't want to deal with me. So toughen up and go home. I was wrong. And after that conversation, we had a moment where I remember in your frustration, and I don't know if you remember this, where you had said, you know, well, Dr. Burnett, you know, he he made this statement to me of you can be sick here or you can go home and be sick. And so I just don't think a caring physician would ever say that. And I don't know that he should be a cancer doctor. And I remember stopping you. I don't remember saying that. (laughs) If I did, I'm sorry. (laughs) And I remember stopping you and saying, well, hold up. I don't think Brian would have gone through a decade of school. 17 years. 17 years. um, To become a cancer physician just to pick on you. I said, you may not know, but his mother also had breast cancer. And I know you have breast cancer and um, he does care. And I remember you in that moment had walked things back and you said, you know what? You're right. That wasn't fair. And again, you showed that insight of, okay, you know, maybe, maybe that was a little bit too much. (laughs) Maybe I need to walk that back. But it was a really pivotal moment. So Erica made a judgment. He doesn't care about me. But the statement, toughen up and go home, sounds a lot like you're not being tough enough, which is also kind of judgmental. I wanted to understand why Brian might have said that and what he really meant. And so I want to talk a a little bit more about that one sentence that kind of really had, you know, flared things up between the two of you. And it was, you know, you can be sick here or you can be sick at home. Brian, when you had said that, what was your perspective and what did you mean? Well, just to put this in context, um, this wasn't our first meeting. I mean, I think I had met Erica a little over two years or right around two years prior. And we had spent a lot of time together and we had met, I don't know, dozens of times before that, would you say? Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought we had a good relationship. I was going to say therapeutic relationship. I don't think that's the right word. So I was kind of taken aback by some of some of this, but what I was thinking at the time was she was in the, in the hospital and we weren't doing much for her there, maybe giving some oxygen, this sort of thing for what was going on. And it seemed like a you know, upper respiratory illness that many of us get here or there um, that could be best treated at home. And I just thought that she'd be more comfortable at home without all the interruptions throughout the night in her own surroundings. And and she may get better quicker at home rather than being in the hospital and uh, and at risk for picking up things in the hospital that people pick up in the hospital. Do you see that frequently with patients that there's a false sense of security with, I want to stay in the hospital because maybe something bad won't happen here or I'll be more safe here or I'll get better care here? I probably see that as frequently as I see the opposite of, I don't want to be in the hospital. Don't put me in the hospital. I'll never come out of the hospital. I just want to be home. I feel better at home versus, you know, people are in the hospital for a few days. They can get a false sense of security of being in the hospital where there's times when there are 
patients that are extending their stay, even though we're not doing anything in the hospital that we couldn't be doing at home. And if we don't hear about those mistakes or receive feedback from those mistakes, we just don't get better. And I see second opinion consultations every now and then from physicians outside or even within our group that are complaining, this doctor said this, or that that doctor said something else. And he really upset me. And the first question I ask is, well, did you tell him? And almost universally, they did not tell their doctor or nurse practitioner, whoever was providing their care. And after the appointment, they got real upset and then things kind of snowballed and they kept getting upset and um, kind of creating their own story sometimes. And then coming to me to un unravel all that. And again, the first thing I say is, well, did you tell him or her? It's important that you do that. So thank you for doing that. I do think a lot of people get embarrassed by having negative thoughts towards someone else. And they don't want to express that because they'll be looked at as a Karen or some other negative person. Yeah. And I do hear that a lot from patients. They don't want to be labeled a problem patient um, or a difficult patient. So I do think that is a real fear and anxiety. But like Brian said, you know, it, it went from good relationship with good communication to the power of one sentence can change everything. Does it sting when you hear things from patients um, where they make assumptions or maybe they say, you know, he doesn't care? Well, I almost never receive it. So <laughs> that's why we're all here today. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but every now and then you, you're only human, you, you fail. And when you get negative feedback, yeah, it stings initially, but then um, you look at it as an opportunity to understand, first of all, a situation, because uh, oftentimes it isn't just one thing that happened. It was a bunch of things going on in the background that um, every now and then you're the scapegoat for, which is just fine. I mean, I'm the leader of our care team. And if anything goes wrong within that care team, I, I want to be held responsible for it and help to fix whatever problems came up. So I, I look at it as an opportunity, but yeah, there's, a, there's an initial sting. And then that starts to fade over time as you start to understand where somebody's coming from and in what context the complaint or the, the beef came up. Can you explain how much you care in the work that you do? Oh boy. I mean, it's what I do. This is a life that I've chosen. And, um, you know, I try to disconnect from it when I'm off, but I'm constantly trying to um, learn, trying to be better. And um, I'm passionate for care of cancer patients. I've seen it done poorly and I've seen it done well in my personal life. And there's been times where the medical system has, has failed my family. And there's times when they've answered the bell and um, really took great care of family members and, um, and being on the patient's family side of that, seeing the impact that um, a cancer doctor or medical professional can have on both patients and families, as well as communities, that's a privilege. And I've never taken for granted that privilege and strive every day to, to um, live up to it. No matter how bad of a day we're having, or if the patient's dishing it out when we deserve it, or they need something clarified, the first thing that always comes to my mind is no matter how bad of a day I'm having at work, I'm choosing to be at the cancer center and I get paid to be here. And I'm always having a better day than the patients that are coming in because they have to. And I think from 
Erica's perspective, it's not just, you know, pushing for clarification when there's a misunderstanding. You know your body better than anybody can. And advocating for yourself or your family member that is going through cancer, if something doesn't seem right, or you're not sure if you're being heard, or you don't understand things, who else can better advocate for you than yourself? Absolutely. Well, when it comes down to it too, physicians, medical professionals, we need to be educators. People need to understand what they're going through. And it's one of the most important parts of our job. Was the first appointment between the two of you then after that, was it awkward? Because I wasn't there. <laughs> I, I've always wondered. <laughs> I don't think so. If it if it was, I would probably remember that it was, but I don't recollect the yeah. next most, appointment or anything. Most, are, most of our appointments now are me somehow embarrassing him by saying something. So, <laughs> so, so it didn't last long. No, so, we, yeah. we don't need to say what. No, no, we don't. <laughs> We'll keep that between the two of you. It's medical. (laughs) (laughs) I remember the first time I saw you and Rob after we had that little mediation uh, conversation. And I will say the second that I saw Rob, I locked eyes with him. And for a second, it was, how do I know him? And then I was like, oh, that's how I know him. And then I was like, oh, are they going to be mad at me? But right after- I hope they're not as mad at me as they were at Dr. Burnett. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, are they going to be, you know, was I too hard or did I push too hard? Because normally when I mediate between patients and a physician, that's the last time I see them. If things all go well and they go back, you know, things are back on track, there's really no need for me ever to see or bump into that patient again. Rob almost ran across the room and gave me a huge bear hug. And it was a great reunion seeing you guys. And then it wasn't long after that our families became We figured out who you were. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So it was, I was at work one day and I got an an email popped up from Erica and she's like, is your dad Richard? And I'm like, yeah. And then I get a text message from my dad saying, do you know Rob and Erica? And I'm like, wait, <laughs> yes, how? So Rob was doing some electrical work at my parents' house. And my father wears Green Bay Oncology shirts a lot. And Rob had asked him, he said, oh, or, you know, do you have cancer? Or do you know somebody that goes to Green Bay Oncology? And he goes, no, my daughter works there. And Rob you know, was putting two and two together with our last names. And he goes, is your daughter Kyla? (laughs) And my dad was like, yeah, how do you know her? And he's like, well, she like met with us and helped us, you know, with a misunderstanding between our doctors. So our families have connected over that. And we, a couple times a year, like we have dinner together and it's been a great experience outside of that first meeting. And although I wish we never had to meet because that means you have cancer. I'm glad that we did. And I'm glad of the relationship that we have. I've never received a bear hug from Rob, which I'm (laughs) I'm okay with. Erica, what do you want doctors to remember when they're talking to patients? To explain, to provide more information, how this affects the body, and basically to walk through what the choices are, what the options are. When we first met, Dr. Burnett expected it to be a 15-minute, hey, she's in pain appointment, and it turned out to be an hour and a half 
appointment of what the hell is going on. I was told I'm hospice appropriate and I'm extremely angry about that. And Dr. Burnett spent that time with me, never once looking at his watch or hand on the door handle to leave. He gave me the time and the attention and the focus that I needed at that time. So listening, it takes practice to be able to do that, to listen to what your patient is saying and not be thinking of what your answer is going to be, just listening and focusing on the patient. So having that open dialogue is huge. Erica, what would you encourage other patients and family members of patients to do when there is a misunderstanding or they feel like the ball's been dropped in their care? Well, I would encourage them, like Dr. Burnett said, to say something to the person that they feel failed them. And it doesn't have to be nasty or negative. It just, please help me understand. And as in my letter, there are two sides to every story and miscommunications do happen, whether it's family and friends or doctor and patient. So it's basically, you need to bring it up. Otherwise, your your anger, being upset is just building up and building up like Dr. Burnett has said, a snowball, and it just makes it worse when it gets to that point. Can we back up for just a second? One additional comment I'd make. We mentioned that patients should feel an obligation to provide feedback to their providers when something didn't go as well as it could have, or there's a miscommunication or some frustration. Um, it didn't flip that around. Okay. It's important for providers when we get feedback to be willing to sit down and take it and to listen and to um, work through whatever those issues are. Are there just some times when patients and physicians' personalities just don't mesh? And is it okay to ask or switch to another provider? Absolutely. But I would say that time is probably after whatever the acute event was that led to that patient dissatisfaction. I don't think it's fair to a provider when a patient's upset, doesn't let you know, and then just jump ships and go somewhere else. It's fine to do that, but please invest in the care team and help that person be better. And if it's a irreconcilable difference and you just aren't going to connect with that provider, well, there's plenty of other providers out there um, and somebody else will be happy to take care of you and, you know, shop around, interview multiple people and look at it as a first appointment as an interview. And if you don't connect with the provider that's there, find a different one. But if there is a relationship with a provider that's been taking care of you for a while, you should respect that to some degree. And um, if there is an issue, um, I really think it should be an obligation to bring that issue up and to address it and hold that person accountable for whatever the insults or the disagreement was. And I know sometimes, you know, on the rare occasion that, like you said, can't just quite get back on the same page or uh, the patient feels they really need a clean slate with a, a new physician. That is one of the benefits of us having so many providers that a lot of times we can accommodate that by switching to a different provider. But I think you're right that the best option is to try to work through that and, and resolve that um, with the provider directly. Well, I think in any workplace, um, there's a saying out there, see something, say something, you know, and that should be true of all of our patients in our clinic. If something doesn't seem right, say something and, and talk about it, just like every nurse or 
um, patient service representative or pharmacist, medical assistant, anybody that works in our clinic, if they hear something that just doesn't seem right, that could be taken in a wrong, the wrong manner, I want people to be comfortable to stop me in the moment and let me know, hey, you just said something that I want to understand. Let's talk about that. And more and more in, in our clinics, especially with first patient visits, and um, there's a change in somebody's plan of care, we'll have a nurse in the visit with us taking notes and listening. But what she's also doing is evaluating me and making sure that I'm doing what I need to do and that everything's clear. And I think it's important in that role as a physician, when somebody else is in the room with you, that's not the patient, not the patient's family, that you lean on them and you ask them during the visit with the patient, what do you think? Or are we missing anything? Anything else we need to talk about? And ask both the patient and their family that as well as a, a nurse or a nurse practitioner that's in there with you because they may be hearing something that you don't. Or we may be misinterpreting something the patient was saying or some nonverbal cue. And very commonly, well, I shouldn't say very commonly, but it's it's not uncommon, I'll say that, for one of our nurses to speak up and say, no, I think we still need to talk about this. Or you forgot to address the pain or the nausea she had mentioned early in the visit. So it's important to leverage those things, those aspects of the care team that can make us better. And one of the things that probably wasn't on our list to talk about today was was those other members of the care team that um, need to feel comfortable holding us accountable and speaking to us in, in the moment if something comes up that they're not comfortable with. No one should carry the burden of cancer alone. A cancer diagnosis can make you and your loved ones feel isolated and alone, just when you need support the most. I'm Addison Young. And I'm Tom Beckers. As social workers at Green Bay Oncology, we know that meaningful connection brings strength and healing. Sharing the experience in a safe space with others on a similar path is often powerful and therapeutic. That's why we offer a free monthly virtual cancer support group facilitated for you and your loved ones. Wherever you are on your cancer journey, you're always welcome. To join us, visit gboncology.com slash events. I was deeply impressed that Erica and Brian could move past bruised feelings, own their missteps, and regroup. But the most impressive thing they did came later. Just listen. You both took what was initially an uncomfortable situation and you've turned it into something that helps others. So Brian, do you want to talk about where did the idea come from to start this session and kind of explain a little bit of what it is? Well, I think it was probably five or six years ago, not long after um, this issue came up that you were involved with between Eric and I. About a year after that, I was approached by the Medical College of Wisconsin Green Bay campus to participate or lead a seminar or workshop with um, first-year medical students on having difficult conversations with patients. And I don't remember the details of it, to be honest, but um, they were going to have me interview a staff member or student or maybe simulated patient. I said, no, no, I take care of thousands of patients a year. We can probably find a patient that would be willing to do this. Most patients that you talk to, they're somewhat interested in medical education. They want well-educated doctors. And the first person I thought of after going through all of this with her and learning so much from her was Erica. And I thought that she'd be a good person and patient for medical students to um, learn from. So instead of having a 
difficult conversation with somebody that did not have cancer and was playing a role. Um, we developed a workshop in which I meet with Erica to recreate our very first encounter that we haven't really talked about here, but that was also a difficult conversation. And I walked into a room and expecting one thing, a quick visit to adjust somebody's pain medications to walking into a completely different scenario and having to kind of clear the clear the schedule and push everything out of my mind and back in the day. Um, so to recreate that in front of medical students um, has really been a powerful teaching tool. And Eric has been a very, very big part of that. What did you think when he asked you if you'd want to participate? Was there not a hesitation? There was or? no hesitation at all. I jumped right into that and I have fun with it. I uh, walk into the room with my walker because back then I had just had surgery to put a nail in my femur. And at the end, I get to say I'm seven years out and no evidence of active disease, which is the goal of pretty much everybody who has metastatic cancer. And uh, it's always fun to answer their questions and help them to be better. It's been an interesting journey when we're recreating that first appointment in front of 25 or so medical students. Um, I'm focused on Erica and I'm looking at her and talking to her like we did the first time and like we do now. So I'm not really observing the medical students, but from the people that are there, and maybe you can speak to this, Kyla, they're not looking at their phones. They're not chatting with somebody next to them or doodling. They're leaning in, listening. And it's been consistently rated as one of the most meaningful experiences during their, during their medical school. Why is it so important early on to have these type of sessions with medical students? And is there more of a focus now on the communication side of things for physicians? Well, I'm a bit removed from medical school now. Um, I'll say that. But um, I think communication is one of the most difficult skills to learn. And whether it's in medicine or any other field out there, communication is something that is a skill that's developed over time. And in what we do, the stakes are much higher than in what other people do. So I think introducing medical students to skill development and communication very early on and helping them develop it throughout their curriculum as well as into their postgraduate training is integral to have a highly competent and, um, and well-oiled uh, medical system. So introducing it, being that it takes a long time to develop those skills, early introduction and getting people thinking about these things is, again, the, the best way to um, optimize it. One of the biggest things that I tell the students after we do our presentation is you don't make a judgment before you open that door and meet that patient. And oftentimes in these sessions, I think we'll chat for 45 minutes or so in front of the medical students, but the um, question and answer period will oftentimes last just as long, mm -hmm. just suggesting that they are engaged and they're thinking about things as we talk and asking Erica how she feels about something and asking me as a provider, how, how do you feel when you deliver bad news or have these difficult discussions? So they really lean in and really get a lot out of it. And then after Eric and I are, are done and we finish the question and answer period, we split up into small groups and then they get the opportunity to deliver bad news or difficult discussions with simulated patients. And very, very few of them can do it well. And some of them fail. And I tell them before we start these sessions, we expect you to fail. This isn't easy. And the only way that we get better is failing when the stakes aren't quite as high and practicing it. So they get the opportunity to practice a few times throughout the afternoon. And I get a lot out of it. 
I learn a little bit every time I go. And I've noticed each time that we do this, we're getting more and more of the teaching staff joining in as well. Erica and Brian came up against a crisis of disconnection and misunderstanding. But even strong feelings that seem fixed and firm can change dramatically. So I asked both of them privately how they felt about each other now. Here's Erica first. What would you want to say to Brian now? I think we have a great relationship now. I mean, I think he's at a 20 out of 10 now. He's he's grown and I appreciate everything that he knows. I appreciate that he wants to help others. And I love the fact that we can joke around now and have a great time when I see him. And he's just, he's a great guy and he's a great physician. And I've recommended him to several people and I would continue to do so. Thank you. And how does Brian feel about Erica? How would you describe Erica and her approach and her cancer journey and your relationship now? Well, I would say that I appreciate her just like I appreciate all of our patients. Probably get to be more of a more than a sentence here, but I think it'd be fair to say that Erica's life has changed. You might assume that it's changed for the worse with the new cancer diagnosis, but I think she'll tell you that everything has changed. She appreciates life more. She appreciates her family more. Um, she in, probably enjoys life more. And it's changed her perspective. And it's really a privilege to be around somebody like that and to learn from somebody like that. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Cancer Covered. Please let us know what you think by leaving a review. To learn more, read our blog, request an appointment, search available clinical trials, or even apply to become a member of the team, go to gboncology.com. Thank you.